0: We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. For we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us you also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Welcome to the Unchanging Word
1: Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the minor prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's word has not changed,
2: Calvary, life Jesus said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, who is in heaven. And he charged the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to show unto his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and the third day be raised up. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17 and verse 20 through 21. Dr. Mitchell begins our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 8 the experience of suffering, which is deliverance. Well, here is Dr. Mitchell.
0: Thank you. Good day, friends. We again come to you. And again, I say it's a real joy for me to meet with you, communicate to you the Word of God as simply as I can, so that each one of you may begin to understand, at least in some way, the wonderful, wonderful grace of God. To know something of our wonderful Savior who is always sufficient for our needs, not only for eternity, but for also for today. God wants you and me to walk with him today. What I had yesterday will not suffice for me today. You remember in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, when the Lord gave them manna from heaven, as the psalmist says, he fed them on angels' food, and each one gathered according. To his appetite, some gathered much, some gathered little. But they were all satisfied. But the next day they had to go out and gather again. See, what we had yesterday will not suffice for us today. God wants you and me to walk with Him today. I'm talking to those of you who love the Savior. The Lord knows all about you, He knows all about your frailty, He knows all about your blessings. He knows all about you. Yet remember, our Lord said that he even numbers the hairs of our head. He just loves us and is sufficient for us. And would indeed that the tens of thousands who do not know the Savior might come to know him in a very precious, intimate way. There are so many who are religious but have no, no life, no spiritual life. You see, life can only come through relationship with one who is eternal. How glad I am that the day came in my life when I came as a sinner and received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. In that very moment, I passed from death to life. Yes, every sin was forgiven. I became a child of the living God. Wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, we're, in, we're studying together in the, the second book of Corinthians. We have finished the first book, and we're in the second book. And I would like just for a moment or two to refresh your memory that in the second book you have the Apostle Paul opening up his heart possibly more than any other epistle. You remember in the first epistle of Corinthians it was corrective, it was instructive. But when you come to the second epistle it's Paul's personal apologetic concerning his love for the Savior, concerning his ministry for the Savior concerning his apostleship. My, how marvelous it is as you read this second epistle through. You see Paul's love and compassion and tenderness toward the people of God. And yet through it all, he asserts his apostleship and reveals his great devotion to the Savior. In fact, it's a revelation of the heart of one who was joined to the Savior and who is experiencing that precious life in Christ day by day. This is what God wants with you and me. So I was saying to the students here some time ago in class, it's not that you and I are hungry for fellowship with God. I want that. But the marvelous thing is that God wants your fellowship and my fellowship, and day by day we rob God of the great desire of his heart, which is your fellowship and my fellowship. And when you come to 2 Corinthians, you have this so very aptly revealed to the experience and testimony of the Apostle Paul. Now, in the first chapter, we had, in the first two verses, his salutation was by the will of God, his apostleship was by the will of God, and so on. And that his Savior was a wonderful Savior. And then you have the theme in verses 3 to 11, his thanksgiving to God. And the theme here is how God can comfort his people. Now, when he talks about comfort, he's not talking about you and me giving consolation to somebody. He's talking about somebody who undergirds us. Whatever the test, whatever the trial, whatever the sorrow, the Lord comes and undergirds us, which gives us peace, which gives us comfort. But we wouldn't have we wouldn't have that comfort, that peace of heart, if it were not for the fact that he undergirds us. He knows exactly what we're going through, and he gives us strength to go through the test, through the storm, whatever it is. Just like you have in the Gospels. It was in the storms that the apostles, the disciples, learned who Jesus was and what he was. Do you remember he still the storm? He still does. He stills the storms in the lives of his people and gives us that peace, that comfort that undergirding. That's what our Lord meant in John 14 when he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send another comforter. One called to your side, one who will undergird you, one who will understand you, and one who is sufficient for your need. And you notice he's, the value of the suffering of the people of God is for comfort. And here you call him, he's the God of all comfort. He's the God of all mercies. And as I said in our last lesson, he's the God of all grace. He's the God of all patience. He's the God of hope. He's the God of all comfort. And then Paul goes on to speak that the reason for it was that he might be able to comfort others. God puts you and me through tests and trials, undergirds us, gives us peace and comfort. What for? That we might be a comfort we might be able to undergird others who are going through tests and trials. And may I say very frankly, my Christian friend, this is one of the greatest needs among God's people today. It is so easy for us to criticize and to judge other Christians when most of the time you don't know what they're going through. You judge the other man in the light of your own conscience instead of loving him undergirding him, comforting him, encouraging him. And the more we go through tests and the more the Lord undertakes for us, the more we're able to comfort, to undergird those who are going through tests and trials. You see, friend, when Paul went through all this, it was because he might be a comfort to others. This is what we were dealing with in the first seven verses. Now we come to the next thing, under thanksgiving, the Experience of Suffering, verses 8 to 10. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. For we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Let me just stop there. Verses 8 to 10, Paul comes into the experience in which he found the comfort of God. He even despaired of life. I will not have you ignorant, brethren, but the trouble that came upon us in Asia. We were pressed beyond measure. Above our strength, we despaired even of life. We had the descendants of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver us. In whom we trust he will deliver us. Now I've reread those verses, 8 to 10. Allow me to remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul said, The Lord delivered me out of the lion." from evil beasts. And what's the profit of that if the dead rise not? The folly of us going through all this test and trial if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope, if there's no hope. How can God comfort his people in tests and trials, even unto death, if he's not the one who has already conquered death and the grave? You get this thought of Paul in Second Timothy chapter four verse seventeen. He said to Timothy, "And the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion." Now, having said that, I would like to read the eleventh chapter of Second Corinthians, just a few verses. I'm reading from verse twenty-three of Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Forty stripes is a death sentence. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Do you remember? They stoned him and left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've been in the deep. That is, I've been in the ocean. In the sea, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, and so on. I took the time to read that because sometimes we forget that some of these dear Christians of the first, second century in the facing, of, facing continually martyrdom, being thrown to the lions, beaten up, stoned, you name it. Now listen to what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of what I went through. I was pressed beyond measure. I despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. But in God, we didn't trust ourselves. We trusted God who raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver and whom we trust that he will yet deliver. Paul faced us continually in his ministry. He's not boasting about this. Even when you come to chapter 11, he doesn't boast about it. He wants him to know what he went through. But his hope was in the God of resurrection. Again, I come to it. The gospel means nothing if Christ is not raised from the dead. I want to say to those of you who are listening in who may not be Christians. In fact, you may be critical of Christians. You may be soured on Christians. Christians may not even have him much use for the Savior. You're sufficient unto yourselves. Let me tell you something. The very fact that God raised his son from the dead is the guarantee of life eternal, the guarantee of our salvation in Christ. But I must also tell you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is God's guarantee of judgment to those who reject him. That's what Paul wrote. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 31, God hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. What had he just said? God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath set apart a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, you talked about that here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. That's true, and I'm saying it again. As I read through these verses in chapter 11 of what Paul went through, what man could go through that if he wasn't undergirded by a God who raised the dead, by a God who defeated death in the grave. That's why he says in verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver us, in whom we trust he will yet deliver us. Ah, you say, but Paul was beheaded. God didn't deliver him. Wait a minute. Paul just said, Good night, earth, good morning, glory. What do you think Paul's heart was? Was with a risen Saviour? I may remind you of Second Corinthians chapter five, verses six to eight, where he said, Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Or in Philippians 1, 23 and 24, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Yes, my friend. To live is wonderful. To be with Christ is far better. Death is no longer has any authority over you or me who love the Savior. An unsaved friend, I'm telling you. We offer you a savior. Who not only puts away sin, but has defeated death and the grave. So that when a Christian leaves this scene, whatever the world may do to him, neither here nor there, he goes right into the very presence of Christ. You see, the moment you accept the Saviour, you have eternal life, and God means just what He says. And again, allow me to quote that precious verse in John 5:24, "Very, very I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into judgment, is past, already is past, from death to life. That's the kind of a savior we have. And Paul here is talking about that when he talks about the experience of the suffering, he found a very comfort of God. Remember that. His confidence was in the God of resurrection. Hence, he was comforted when he faced his enemies. Comforted when they picked up stones to stone him. Comforted when they beat him with rods. Comforted him when he was scourged. And when he faced death eventually and his head was not cut off. As we understand, he was beheaded on the Appian Highway out of Rome. It was nothing to Paul. It was just saying, good night, earth, good morning, glory. This is what he's talking about, verses 9 to 10, 8, 9, and 10. And then may I go to verse 11. Here you have fellowship in the suffering. We've just had the experience of the suffering. Now the fellowship in the suffering, verse 11. And notice, notice the cooperation. You also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Now, just, just think of that for a moment. He thanks these Corinthians, so helping us together by prayer, that by the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He he thanks the Lord for their fellowship with him in his suffering. Note the the cooperation. God, having comforted him in in his suffering, now they would join with him in prayer because they sympathized with him in his suffering. And here we have real fellowship and oneness of believers in Christ. There's a wonderful bond between believers, and Christ. And thus Paul gives thanksgiving to God for the cooperation and for the deliverance that he had because of their prayers. You know, I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat it. I say it because of our tremendous need for this. There are a great many of you who feel that you're doing nothing for God. You're shut in or you're frail, or you're sick, or you're you're getting up in years, and you don't have the pep you used to have and the things you used to do. Some of you were Bible teachers, possibly in Bible classes for adults. Some of you had Bible classes for children. Some of you used to teach in Sunday school. Some of you even were preachers. Who knows? And for some reason, you've been laid to one side, and the danger is to become full of self-sympathy, wishing you could do this and wishing you could do that. Maybe God has put you to one side to do an important job. And Paul encourages these Corinthians by thanking them for, his, for their prayers. Listen to it. You also helping together by prayer for us. Now, remember there were those in the assembly who were objecting to Paul's apostleship and message. He turns around and thanks them for their prayers. He doesn't uh, point anyone out specially, but just thanks the assembly for their prayers on his behalf. I tell you, my friend, we thank God for you folk who are praying. I know that while I'm talking to you, there are people in this land, this blessed land of ours, who are praying continually for the ministry of the Word of God, not only for Mitchell as he gives out the Word, but for others who are giving out the Word of God in sincerity and in truth. The great desire of our hearts that God would make himself exceeding precious and real to everyone who listens in. And there are those who are not Christians who listen in. I know that. I get some letters from some of them. And they're not very sweet letters, be frank with you, but they're listening in. And for this, I thank God. But I'm also rejoicing in the fact that I know there are many who are praying for us day after day Please don't stop. Why has God left you down here on earth? He's given you a job. He's left you to one side. You know, the trouble is today, we think of of Christian service according to what you see. One is a preacher. Another one is a teacher. Another one's a pastor. Another one's a Sunday school superintendent. Some teaching Sunday school classes, Bible classes, home classes, visitation, personal work preaching, and so on. My, what we used to do. But my friend, that's only part of the ministry. And Paul here thanked the Corinthian church that they were praying for him. Don't you stop praying for us, will you? If it wasn't for your prayers, we couldn't continue. Oh, how God I am, the Lord has left you down here, even in your frailty, that you might be a worker together with me in this blessed task of communicating his wonderful, wonderful word to our generation, pleading with God that the word may take, a, take effect in the hearts of every hearer, and not only so, but that precious souls might pass from death to life. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that you and I can have that wonderful fellowship one with another? That's all I'm going to say today. I just plead with you to manifest something of the grace, the confidence of Christ in your life. And remember, if I'm talking to you and you're in sorrow or testings or trial or reflection, remember that the Lord Jesus can comfort you, undergird you, strengthen you. As Paul here could say, we did not trust in ourselves, but we trusted in God who was able to raise the dead. Now may the Lord wonderfully, marvelously bless you today. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing and look forward to that wonderful day when we shall see him whom, having not seen, we love. The Lord bless you now for his precious name's sake.
2: I praise him, I praise him for tokens of his wondrous grace. And though I love him dearly.